I'm Leslie, and this is a podcast about the hobbies where misfits belong. It's niche to meet you. We've spent three episodes talking about a game that I've been calling the perfect case study for the hobby. I've lauded Warhammer 40,000 for having all the things that help us understand why hobbies and belonging are so important to prevent a lifetime of loneliness. It utilizes craft. It builds skill, it provides opportunity for socializing, and it has ways to be thought about outside of playing the game. But there's something I've been struck by in all of this, and we've mentioned it a few times. It's all so dark, violent even. The second episode ended with me playing the game myself, and the clips from gameplay were talking about weapons and range and shooting. And as we've been working on these episodes, there's been a bit of a cognitive dissonance that's crescendoed. How can something built around violence and war simultaneously provide grounds for belonging and community, such that it's a case study for healing a loneliness epidemic? Well, after all, that's the case I'm making. So we're concluding our look into the Warhammer 40,000 universe with the simple question, why does it even matter? I'm Leslie, and it's niche to meet you. The lore of this universe, its origin story, the specifics of the history of the world, hasn't really been discussed in this series. We've thrown out character names, for sure, space marines, you might remember. We've even played some rants from those who know the lore, rants that sound a little something like this. Anything that they believe strong enough, they collectively, their psychic mentality, brings things into reality. If the orcs think something hard enough, it becomes true. Their collective will can warp reality. I've got a lot of audio that sounds just like that. You get this sense talking to people who know about 40K, even the ones who made it, that it's all kind of exaggerated and satirical. Like there's a smirk and a smarkle in their eyes when they rant, or an LOL thrown in at the end of a lore message on Discord. They get the absurdity of it all. And while, yes, there is passion present for those who play and interact, you get the feeling that many of them don't seem to find meaning in the story itself, and it doesn't really matter for gameplay. Here's Robert. If you look at it 40K as the satire that it is designed to be, it's objectively funny. There's like a sarcasm to it. Yes. The, the orcs are probably the greatest example. They're literally based off English soccer hooligans. They have a cockney accent and they use ridiculous words and they're designed to basically be very violent 14 year olds. But they're a parody of themselves. But people really love them because they're ridiculous. So it's sci-fi, it's grimdark, it's super serious, and if we've met an orc in real life from the 40k universe, it would murder all of us. But in the context of it being a game, it's funny to imagine him talking funny and just wanting to crump heads. Crump heads, that's what they That's a very common phrase. Sure. It's silly. A lot of hobbies are. But the literal satire in the Warhammer universe plays an important role. It matters that the thing is silly. It points out absurdity in our own reality by exaggerating it. Now, speaking of silly satire, let's talk about the Barbie movie. There's a moment when Ruth Handler tells her creation, Barbie, that things like patriarchy and Barbie herself are made up, constructed, to deal with how difficult life is. See, we don't necessarily make things up because we want to escape from reality, though that is an option we create things like Warhammer to find meaning in reality. 
to make sense of it because life is truly absurd, is it not? Fitness professional Ariana Scalfo has played 40K for years. She and her boyfriend, Alex Viata, run a renowned fitness company. It's called Complete Human Performance, and they're the leaders of a fitness movement called Hybrid Exercise. It combines strength and endurance in fitness programming. They essentially train people like space marines. They even developed a space marine program recently. Ariana sees 40K players applying the exaggerated nature of the Warhammer universe to their own lives as a comparison tool, even a motivator. You can't even belittle things like for the emperor or these like little battle cries or things that the the space marines say that help them focus. I've heard people say them jokingly, but also not jokingly to help them focus on a goal or to help them realize that they're the only person holding themselves back from that goal or to stop making an excuse Because at their core, they are battle cries. And I think a lot of us, we kind of need one sometimes. And also it's good to know that there's a world out there that's so awful that you would never want to be a part of it. It really makes our world seem a lot better. So these hammerheads are making and getting meaning from the silliness. And I want to explore that further. But to do that, we need to talk about hope. Or rather, the absence of it. There's a question I've asked of every single person I interviewed for this series because the responses are both similar and then completely unique. It's the thing I've been teasing out this whole series on Warhammer 40,000. It's the question of hope. Each time I ask someone familiar with the universe about this concept of there being no hope, they'd offer a slightly different response, maybe with a tiny little grin on their face. Robert would often say this. In the grim darkness of the far future, there is only war. And this is a motto of sorts for the universe. In the grim darkness of the far future, there is only war. So I asked Rick Priestley about this exact thing. And here's what he had to say. The universe is built on the fact that there's no hope. Is that true? I I kind of took that angle when I started as a keynote for it. And it gave it a, a dark, somber kind of quality, which was very much in contrast to a lot of contemporary science fiction. When I think of just things that fall in that category, Star Wars, you know, the big quote out of Rogue One was rebellions are built on hope. As a storyteller, how do you craft a story around a universe that has no hope? Because ultimately it's a universe that's so big that the hopelessness of it, you don't see it. If you're an individual, you're living within a society that's It functions because people believe it functions. I tried to create a universe that was so big you could tell any story. So for Rick, it seemed to be a function of possibility. But Andy Chambers, his successor, explained it this way. And Warhammer's hallmark is that there is no hope. No, everything is gone. (laughs) So as a storyteller, what do you do with that? You let people find their own hope. That's part of the challenge, really. So hope is welcome. Hope is where you find it. Hope is where you find it. This seemed to be a clue for me, that participating in this narrative wasn't devoid of hope completely. And the turning point actually came during gameplay, when Robert revealed a chaplain miniature. A chaplain is the spiritual heart of the chapter. They're the morale. They, they, they keep up with the history, the lore, the burial rites. 
How do you have chaplains in a world with no hope? Well, it's not that there is no hope. It's that in the grim darkness of the far future, there is only war. There's that phrase again. So, it's not that there's no hope. It's that what's promised and what can be counted on in the universe of Warhammer 40,000 is war. That's where it's all leading. No successful revolutions for ultimate human flourishing. No swelling orchestral underscore setting a hopeful tone. It's all just war. And so I wonder how something so grim presents such an opportunity for community and belonging and joy. When I played 40K at the GameKeep, Robert and Aaron told me about how playing this game the last several years has given them, and others like them, meaning and purpose in a new way. What makes people stay? Uh, I think the community is a big part of it. So the, the lore is what it is. And the community that you exist in is really important. And I think subcultures is the best way to look at that. What did y'all do during COVID? So that's actually when I started. I was stuck at home with work. I worked from home. I couldn't go out and do anything. I always wanted to get into the hobby. So that's when I started ordering the models, putting together paint. I enjoyed painting. And so to me, that was relaxing during that time. How was morale? How did you all feel, though? If, if this is such a big part of it, getting together, how was that? Hard. It became very rough for people that used to get together now. Okay, uh, trying to find ways to be to play online. Have you seen a rise in people picking it up? Yes. yes. There's four people out there right now I've not met yet because they started today, which is great because it started with three of us. Because I came in and said, hey, I want to be the community leader. And then it was Aaron and it was our buddy Michael, who's not here tonight. But we seriously, we started with three people, and I would say now there are there's, there's got to be tables. 80 people that I would say are reason they're here at least once a month. It seems to me that COVID itself and the ripple effects from it offered little hope. All we heard were stories of death and devastation and sadness. Then summer of 2020 brought upheaval and racial conflict. There was immense tension and gruesome acts of violence. Of course, all these things preceded 2020, and they continue today. A lot like, perhaps, the Warhammer universe. But there was still hope to be found during the pandemic. Hope was, in Andy Chambers' words, where we found it. We discovered ways to be together virtually. We spent more time assessing what was important. We became more aware of the fragility of life. Maybe that period of time felt akin to 1960s in Britain, where Warhammer got its true start with Rick Priestley playing World War II games with his friends. Andy told us the British attitude was grim, dark, cynical. But in the midst of that, we heard stories about art inspiring creators and new worlds being dreamed up. Hope was where they found it. Creators like Rick Priestley, the originator of the Warhammer universe himself, even still, plays the game. I always say the social aspect of Wargaming, Warhammer, if you like, is the most important thing to me, what it's really about. Me, personally, it's that social aspect. So I'm pretty much game with my friends, getting together to drink beer, push toy soldiers around, and talk, excuse me, bollocks. Warhammer is a reflection of the world in which it was conceived, and is still being played in. And the point isn't the killing and the violence at all, it's what happens despite all of that around the table. 
I got into 40k because I got hit hard during COVID. I started painting models back in 2021, and I've been going strong ever since. This is Aaron. Now, it's not the same Aaron who taught me to play 40k. This is Aaron, a gamer based in Kansas City, but he travels a lot for work. He works in construction. Aaron shared that he was stuck alone for six months during the pandemic, and painting the models helped him to de-stress in a time of isolation. One of my favorite memories is when I did a tag team game, but we didn't get too far because we just mainly talked and had fun, didn't get to play, but we still enjoyed our time and everything. It wasn't about the game, it was just getting along and interacting with people. And I'm thankful for it every day. I, I don't know where I'd be without it right now. And so we come back to the purpose of this podcast. In the trailer for the show, I actually call it the thesis statement. I reference the Surgeon General's report from 2023, You can listen to the trailer for the details, but in short, we know that loneliness and isolation have been higher than ever before, even without the COVID pandemic as a factor, and it's causing serious health problems. That is grim, indeed. But it's also fuel for creators, creators like Andy Chambers. No, it's it's never an overt conversation. Um, You you just seem like the distilled cynicism of lots of different creators at the end of the day, which comes from our society. So, while folks are producing things like Warhammer out of our shared experience, we use that work to find meaning and purpose. And for Hammerheads, the silliness of it all sets the stage for their own meaning-making while painting, or rolling dice, or doing complex math, or not even doing any of that and just talking around the table instead. And turns out, they're healthier for it. There are actual studies to prove that social interaction, like being involved in hobbies, lead to more fulfilling and healthier lives. They are, as the Surgeon General says, the antidote. For 40K and the folks who play, it's like the framework for the thing itself and the silliness of it all allows for people to find meaning while playing it around the table or painting together or while sharing life instead of painting, while swapping miniatures, it imagines as Rick Priestley says, a world so big that even with all the grief and pain and hopelessness, there is still yet hope to be made. It's still worth showing up every Thursday night to your local game shop, worth learning all the silly lore and character names and rules. It's still worth feeling like a nerd. Hey, we'll get back to the episode in a second, but first... This is usually where people will ask you to subscribe, rate, and review the show on your platform of choice. And I would love if you did that. It's super helpful. But you know what's more helpful is telling a friend that you like it. So what if right now you texted one friend and said, hey, I'm listening to this new show called Niche to Meet You. I think you'd really like it. You know what I'll even do for you? I will play music for the next 15 seconds before we get back to the second part of the episode, so you can do it without missing a thing. Okay, ready? Here you go. So what's next for Warhammer 40,000? Well, the answer is to Amazon and beyond. In December of 2022, it was announced that Amazon and Games Workshop were teaming up for a film franchise with Henry Cavill both acting and overseeing as executive producer. This was confirmed a year later. 
Henry Cavill is best known as playing Superman in recent years, but he also played the lead character in the Netflix series The Witcher, which is based on a series of fantasy novels and video games with a cult following. Cavill has been long known and trusted in the nerd community as an insider. He's played 40K and other nerddom family games for years, and he's known to talk about it in interviews, like this moment on The Graham Norton Show. But you, you paint, is it War of, War, World of Warcraft? Uh, Warhammer. Warhammer, I'm a fool. You paint by hand? Yes, yeah. Um, Does everyone do that or can you buy them re already no, painted? No, you, you have to paint them, but it's just how much effort you put into it. There's, and you there's, put a lot of effort. There's the painting, modelling side of the hobby and then there's the gaming side of the hobby. Okay, and when you paint them, what do you do with them then, Henry? Then you um, put them together in little armies and you fight against someone else's army. <laughs> It's actually, it's, it is fun. Oh, I mean, very it sounds fun. ridiculous, but it is yeah, fun. Yeah, no, toys, very good fun. Uh, <laughs> do you invite people over? Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, OK. Can I come over and play? You can. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds amazing. That's Tom Holland at the end, trying to get in on Warhammer play with Henry Cavill. Every Warhammer follower I've met has this, like, nervous excitement about the team-up. Josh and Marcus started giggling when I asked about it. I, I bet there's going to be like some sort of Henry Cavill themed model that comes out when the show launches, right? Like there's there's, there's going to be, right? Oh, I uh, hope so. Well, so how are the real Warhammer nerds feeling about the Henry Cavill Amazon thing? What's the general consensus? For me personally, I'm very excited. We'll see how it works out with the Amazon production. But with Henry Cavill being involved in the creative process as well, I'm super excited. And I think that's a big saving grace for a lot of the community is, you know, he's a prolific honestly, Warhammer nerd and in a place of creative control where he can kind of guide this into a way that will do justice to the rest of the community. Yeah, and especially the work Cavill did with Witcher and shows how much he cares about being like true to that IP and like, you know, being willing to put time into the game and read those books to like understand how that goes. So I think people are expecting him to carry that same type of stuff over to Warhammer. Another aspect of the tabletop game I think is really interesting is kind of the imagination that you have to use. You're thinking about all these things, you have all these you know models on the table and like, you know, all the lore behind all of them, right? And so you're kind of playing this out in your head, but you can never see it. So like actually being able to see that come to life on the screen is the part that's really interesting. That's probably why the video games have done really well. I mean, you have to spend all this time looking at these models and putting them together and painting them, right? You spend a lot of time thinking about visually how things look. So being able to see it come to life on the screen is kind of a very natural thing for, I think, a lot of people to want. And is there one main storyline that everyone's going to know? So there's a, a core backstory, I think, that comes from the rule books. It comes from the novels. And that's going to be the challenge is conveying 40 years of lore and backstory and getting that into a mainstream audience while still making the, the core community who knows that lore and backstory happy. It's going to be a very difficult thing to do. You literally have the whole universe. I don't mean universe the way like the Lord of the Rings universe. Like like literally, like physically, you have the entire universe that you can play within, right? So there's lots of sub-stories, like Josh was saying, you can go on. There's lots of room to even create your own stories that happen within some of the larger ones, right? I think a lot of people are waiting to see what the story is going to be. Are they going to try and tell something that people are a little bit more familiar with? Are they going to make up a new story that happens in the context of something larger? You know, they have a lot of room for it. And Andy Chambers has hesitations, but ironically, he's hopeful. 
I like Henry Cavill a lot. Uh, I want to preface anything I say by saying that is because he, he seems like a genuinely nice guy and and apparently a, a genuine nerd, a genuine hobbyist, and all the rest of it. Which more power to him, we'll love him for that. Hopefully, it goes well. My experience in the past, certainly when I was at workshop, of the interface between entertainment and Warhammer Forty Thousand is generally not a happy one. It's a difficult topic to get across well but I have my doubts that the fans will be happy because they often aren't. Let's face it, for a game-based movie to achieve those sort of things is just unprecedented, which is why Henry Cavill's effort may well strike gold as well because apparently we're capable of doing this now. We didn't used to be. (laughs) Game-based movies were all universally terrible. (laughs) So perhaps we're coming out of that now. And Rick Priestley now witnesses his work standing among the likes of those that inspired it following Amazon's Rings of Power series based on Tolkien's books. Rick doesn't see the prowess of this. He sees it as a returning to the game's original purpose, a nod to a thing that he and many others helped to build. I actually feel quite proud to have started it. It's one of those things where you go, well, upon the shoulders of giants and all that, all the people that have worked on Warhammer since me have kind of made it what it is. I like to think that gave them a good start, you know, laid a good foundation. But what's made it great has been 20 years of hard work, consistency, building it up. And those books that your husband reads, they were written as part of our um, Black Library because we wanted to write fiction set in our games universes. But the people that have um, written those books have extended the concept way beyond what I imagined. Yeah, I'm quite proud of it, but I, I wouldn't claim too much personal success. You know, it's not me that's made it that what it is, it's other people. To a large extent, I, I dreamed that we'd maybe one day get to do TV or something. We, we did actually have a go at a few things in the early days. But it's fa- fa- fantastic to see it taken seriously and a great opportunity for the people who were there at Games Workshop. I got a lot of admiration for the way they've stuck at it and had faith in it that uh, made it what it is. So proud, like a grandfather. <laughs> and those writers and developers gained momentum from the belonging found in the hobby by people like Robert, Aaron, Josh and Marcus, And that community has been so very welcoming and open to me. Instead of being exclusive and insecure about others' potential judgment on the thing they love, they're excited and proud to share it with others. And I think we all would feel the same about our own hobbies. Now, the point of this miniseries wasn't to encourage listeners to play Warhammer 40,000. Though, if you want to, I would suggest finding your local hobby or game shop as a first step. Based on my experience, they'll be glad to show you around and probably let you borrow an army. I wanted to tell the story of 40K for this first miniseries of Niche to Meet You for the nerds because I saw a group of people that society considers to be outcasts. I mean, they even call themselves nerds. They get it. They galvanize over this label and are proud of it. These hammerheads may not fit in everywhere, but here around the table with miniatures, they are at home. They have common ground and shared interest. They fit in. Now, I can relate to this. I bet you can too. I constantly feel like I don't fit in anywhere. And sometimes we like to feel unique, to be individual, but often not fitting in feels like a stamp of disapproval from society. So when we do find that thing that makes us feel like a square peg in the square hole that offers us meaning, We begin to come out of our isolation and perhaps we better appreciate others who don't fit in either. 
there's a grace and a humility that comes from feeling welcomed that invites us to offer the same grace to others. Because we're all broken, lonely people, outcasts and misfits who are in desperate need to find belonging. So hobbies aren't just fun and sometimes silly and superfluous. Hobbies aren't just important. Hobbies like Warhammer 40,000 are completely and totally necessary. Thanks for listening to the first Niche to Meet You miniseries. I welcome any feedback on this show and specifics within the episode. And you can even leave a voice memo. Check out nichetomeetyou.show slash 40k or check the show notes. I'd like to thank the GameKeep community in Nashville, including Robert and Aaron, for welcoming me for multiple nights. Thanks to Josh and Marcus for their time talking with me about Warhammer and listening to these episodes. Andy Chambers and Rick Priestley for entertaining questions from an outside perspective on the thing they've devoted their lives to. Things like podcasts aren't done in isolation, so I offer a special thank you to Chris Thiessen, my co-writing collaborator on this miniseries, and Kevin Morris, who mastered the episodes once my production and edits were complete. The theme music you hear under me right now was composed by Abigail Flowers, and the beautiful blue and yellow artwork you see was designed by Rachel Hardiker. I'm Leslie, and it's been so niche to meet you.